I'm really not sure how to do this. We kind of screwed up in this episode, and we interviewed Jamie, and we forgot to do any promotion of her social media and stuff. So if you want to find Jamie with Femcanic Garage, look her up at femcanic.com. I usually have to use the www.femcanic.com. She's also on Facebook, Femcanic Garage, Instagram, Femcanic Garage. I'm not going to tell you too much about her, but listen to the episode. But we had a great time chatting with her, talking about her mission and her goals, and I can't tell you dozens of other things. Uh, it was very enjoyable, and as a matter of fact, you stay after the uh, outro and the closing music. I uh, threw in another like 10 or 12 minutes of outtakes where we kind of... More her and Sean talk a lot about dogs and cats and pets and, you know, just kind of fun stuff. Hope you enjoy this episode. Obviously, the plugs are at the beginning. Look us up, nodrivinggloves.com. Find Jamie at femcanicgarage.com. Really hope you enjoy this episode. Sorry for this crazy pre-intro, but let's roll the music and get started. No Driving Gloves, we're a combination of gearheads. John, the instigator. Derek, the conservator. Will, the builder. Sean, the racer. And maybe a guest. Invite you to listen while they sit down, have a drink, and discuss cars. Learn more and subscribe to the podcast at No Driving Gloves. Time now for the ride. I think I'm getting better with the new intro in not actually saying, hey, welcome to No Driving Gloves, and making everybody suffer hearing that twice now that we kind of have an intro. Well, you just did. Yeah. Well, I like making, <laughs> I like making people suffer. There's everybody who's on the show tonight. Obviously, me, Derek, Sean, and then came across the guest. As everybody knows, I really fell into this podcasting hole. Do a lot of online things and seminars and whatever classes or, and I've been listening to her podcast for a while. Really enjoy it. But very interesting perspective and look on the automotive hobby. Our guest is uh, Jamie Blosman, and she does a podcast called Femcanic Garage. Kind of a fascinating show to me because we always talk about getting children involved in the hobby and, you know, where's the hobby going, and it should be encompassing to everybody. Some of our better episodes, we did two early on with uh, a woman named uh, Jordan Towns, who's still doing some doctorate program and is a doctor and autocrosses and tried out for the Olympics this last time and just missed. And she's going to try again. And I don't know how she does everything. She keep you know, keeps up and she's, she's a vampire. She sounds like an underachiever for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she doesn't, she yeah. doesn't sleep ever. And then of course we had Will's friend on who, everybody kind of knows uh, a couple of episodes ago and she keeps distracting him and not allowing him to come on the show for some reason. I guess that's what happens when you go to TV and wait, Will has friends. Well, she's, pay she pays him. So I, I, I we, you can figure out. how. <laughs> <laughs> that's all awesome. And we had Jill, we had Jill Beck on the show. Jill owns compass 360. Oh yeah. Um, we've had, she's about 11 episodes back. So, Jamie? And now we have Jamie. Yes, now Jamie. we have Jamie. Oh, hello. <laughs> and now there's another female named uh, Jamie. Woohoo! said to Jamie, I'd love to, something about, she asked about my podcast, and I sent her one of the Jordan episodes, and we kind of talked, and I said, I really want to have you on 
our podcast. And she said, yeah, I'd love to come on, but you can't be on mine. <laughs> I just wanted to put it out there. I actually have people who, uh, men who have reached out to me. They're like, hey, if you, if you need a guest, let me know. I'm like, clearly you have not like researched my podcast at all. And, you know, and, and I appreciate you reaching out to me and asking me to be on your show because, uh, one women getting into these, to this hobby, the industry and being enthusiasts around almost all the time is brought into it from a dad an uncle or a male figure in their life. And it's a big thing I promote on my podcast in that, For the men that listen to it, yes, when I'm speaking, I'm speaking to the women, but I always fold in the, try to fold in the male's perspective and try to walk a, walk a mile in your shoes, so to speak, and encourage men that, you know, female empowerment does not equal male disempowerment. That's not what it is at all. It's really, how can we be there for each other? And let's have a little bit of fun with the differences. You know, there's, there's a lot of taboo and fear around, you know, oh my gosh, I don't want a sexual harassment case. Or if I hire this female, do I have to worry about maternity leave? And it'd be easier not to have to worry about that. And there's a lot of topics that we dive into in the podcast where I have women that actually reach out to me and they said they were actually, she used the word afraid to listen to the podcast because she thought she wouldn't be able to connect with it at all because it's automotive focused. And what she start, what she realized is, is it's way more than just cars. It's way more than just automotive. It's, it's people and life experiences. And that's kind of why I wanted to have you on, on the show to talk a little bit about your, your podcast and obviously expose our listenership to it. We do have, I know for a fact, a few women listeners, but a bulk of our listeners are, obviously male because that's the way the hobby goes, but you do your show in such a way it really enlightens people on what women can do in the hobby that they shouldn't be looked down upon. Uh, And it's something the entire time almost that I've been in restoration and historic preservation, et cetera. When I was in school for modern automotive mechanics 25 years ago, we had two girls in my first year and one of them stuck it out for the second year and went on to become a mechanic. And it was even worse in the mid nineties. And when I did restoration at uh, McPherson, we had two girls in the program uh, with us now are with us then. And there's been girls or women, excuse me, in that program almost ongoing and no, there's a few there. And we had Amanda Gutierrez on a few episodes ago, who's actually uh, the vice president of the automotive restoration program at McPherson. And, you know, there's a woman who's running this whole thing and educating people to get into the car hobby. It's odd to me for her to be there, but it's wonderful that she's there because she's done so much for the program. And it's a very interesting you know, perspective with that. There's something to be said about honoring the differences between men and women, right? And, you know, I people have commented on the name of my company and the name of the podcast, Femcanic Garage. 
it's amazing how much time you can spend in just trying to name your podcast or name your company, right? Mm-hmm. And you just sometimes it just flows and other times it's like, and then when you know, you know. But the whole essence of that is that you can play with quote unquote boy toys, right? Society, those are boys' toys, and still embrace your femininity. You can have both. And it's just it's truly what what Femcanic Garage is all about is breaking down stereotypes and barriers for women and men because we're conditioned in society that women even today it's 2020 crappy year but regardless it's still 2020 and here we are still trying to work through that where how do we have fun with that and how do we honor each other and our gender because there's there's certain strengths that the male gender has and there's certain strengths that the female gender has and there's different perspectives around it so how about we bring it together and have have fun around it, honor those differences, but learn how to have fun around it. I know a lot of men are sometimes afraid to joke with women at work about some of those differences. And that's a topic that we dive into often. And I ask the question often around that. Um, I've had two young girls, uh, seven and an eight-year-old, on my podcast, I've had a 15-year-old that's restoring a Ford Falcon with her dad and Ellie's garage. And it's really understanding that it's just about the love for it, that it's not just a boy's thing. You know what I mean? I, I love it. Yeah. I, and I'll jump in because, you know, John talked a little bit about, you know, women in the, the restoration program at... McPherson and, and some of the other places and where I went to school for automotive restoration, Washington Community College, for their program they used to have, no longer have it, there were not any women in that program, but they had a custom and concepts program as well, which became a little more successful for that college. There were a number of uh, women, I think I remember at least two or three involved in that program. And I remember one of them distinctly really impressed me. I mean, she had amazing talents doing the custom car, you know, stuff. I was blown away by some of the talents that she had. Jamie, I think like you said it, we all have different talents, you know, between men and women and the differences between us and, and what we could do. And I mean, she just excelled at things and I was, I was really impressed, but even when you get in some of the women that are in the automotive museum field that are extremely passionate some of the biggest automotive museums in this country, their executive directors are women and they're Mm -hmm. extremely passionate about the automobile and they know the history of the automobile. You know, working in that field, I'm, you know, very impressed by those women and, you know, respect them for their knowledge and what they do at those museums. And, you know, I've served on boards with them in my personal life, you know, have uh, two foster kids now and one of them's a girl. I have her sitting in the cars out in the garage and she's hilarious. She loves it. My hope is that as she grows up, she's going to be a car person. First, I got to pause and give you a virtual high five for fostering. <laughs> that is way cool. Thank and you. I did not see that anywhere ahead of this. So I'm hearing that for the first time and mad respect for you. Mad respect for you. 
I think the the biggest thing when I think about the the focus that I have on my podcast, it's yes, it's women talking about their real raw experiences. And there's some really talented women that quit this industry because of one or two bad apples. Right. Mm-hmm. And it happens a lot. It, it does. And it, it breaks my heart where, so Amy Lee for her episode, we got really raw around her experiences and she she is a lesbian and we talked about the LGBT community and there were two listeners and I'm not saying that the listeners were lesbian. I'm not sure, but there were some things that were brought up and they respected the rawness around it that they had stopped going to their automotive classes. They were going to be majoring in that. They stopped going to class because they were, I don't, almost bullied. I don't know any other way of putting it. It, it, It's bullying. Not given opportunities that her male counterparts were given um, in classes as far as projects and different things to do. And they had stopped going. It had been a week since they had been to class. And Amy sends me this message, a screenshot of a message that these women reached out to her, thanked her for what she shared on the podcast, and they started going back to class. Uh, Honestly, I started the podcast because I was curious about information. I couldn't find that platform. There were a lot of men interviewing women in the industry. There There were not a lot of women interviewing women. So the questions that were being asked to the women, there was a gap there. It's like, okay, well, how did you approach your manager when you became pregnant or when you were thinking about being pregnant? You paint. You can't be in those chemicals, right? What does that mean for you? And yeah, even with a respirator, you don't want to be around that if you're, right. if you're pregnant, for sure. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And that's when I started to realize that, hey, th- this is about women uplifting women, but this is also about giving men an opportunity because I believe the majority of men in this industry want to uplift and help women through their journey. I believe that. And there There are some chauvinistic, demeaning men out there, but the majority, I believe, want to help, mentor, partner with, be a peer with other women, but a lot of men, they're just not sure how to do that or what that looks like because the reality is, is the automotive industry and the motorsports industry has historically been a boys club, And, and I'm not saying that in a condescending way. That is the reality of it. It's the majority of men. So what does it mean for women to be in there and honoring women for being a female and not putting the woman in a position to have to be one of the guys? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I I think I got a little bit of probably more than a little bit of insight into women in the automotive industry just because my wife has been in the automotive industry her entire professional life. Um, she's 25 plus years inside what was traditionally considered to be uh, a man's world. So, and, and 
oddly enough, when I met my wife, I got promoted in her into her department. She was my boss on the vehicle repair. What's side your wife's name, major, Sean? Uh, do you want her on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was gonna. I was gonna say, give her a high five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She was. She was my boss, and, and but I've. I've literally. <sighs> I've stood by her through all of the triumphs and the setbacks, and I've seen firsthand her basically beating her head up against what is – there's no other way to put it. It is a glass ceiling. Glass ceiling. It, it's totally there. It's totally there. And she's figured out how to get around it on multiple occasions. Had she been a man, seeing and hearing people tell her that she's too direct, and that she's being too forceful in these conversations that she's having, negotiating uh, rates and uh, repair times and the things that she's done over the years on a very large scale. I mean, we're talking about she's basically taking care of thousands of cars and managing relationships with hundreds of different shops all over the place. And, but then she gets, she gets told that she's being too direct. And, and I think it's because we've been together for so long. We've been together for 20 plus years and she's been in the field for 25. I've seen her grow to a point where if someone says that to her now, she's like, yeah, that's who I am. And that's who you hired. And if I were a man, that would never ever be said it would it wouldn't even be a conversation topic a topic of discussion mm-hmm. yeah it wouldn't even be a topic of discussion and it's it's ridiculous it's totally ridiculous and and you know i i don't pretend to fully understand what she has to deal with i've just seen it from the outside looking in she was my boss and i've been around her for 20 plus years there is no other way to put this and i'm gonna go ahead and cuss for the first time on this show john she knows her. She knows her to the point where people call her from all over the country going, okay, I'm in this scenario. What needs to happen here? This is, I mean, it's, and it's not like, you know, entry level people. It's, it's literally peers on up that are basically going, you know, okay, you know, I know you've been there. I know you've done this kind of thing. And for anyone to actually assume that just because, the person on the other end of the phone or standing in front of them is a woman and they don't know what they're talking about, which she has put up with. And I've, I've seen that firsthand for a long time. And then she just literally lays them out with knowledge mm-hmm. <laughs> and practical application. It doesn't make sense to me that it is still such a man dominated environment. I know it is, but I don't get it because there's literally we're not talking about, you know, this isn't Olympic weightlifting mm-hmm. or, or sprinting where there's obviously a genetic advantage. We're going to, I mean, men right. are going to be able to lift more weight and run a little, little faster. But when it comes to accumulating knowledge on a particular subject, we're at least on an equal playing field. If not, the women may be on a little higher playing field because academically you guys kick ass. And <laughs> we're lighter no in a sports way. car. Well, you are. And I could go into that too, because I, one of the absolute best, most professional high performance driving instructors that I've ever had the pleasure to work with. And I did that for a living for multiple and Stephanie, she literally, she uh, was part of the Hellcat launch with us. She was part of the Viper launch, uh, that gen five Viper launch. Stephanie Reeves is a rock star 
And not only is she a rock star when it comes to just interacting and relaying product knowledge, she she can drive, period. She can wheel. I mean, Jordan Towns, who John was talking about at the beginning of the show, Jordan's a multi-time SCCA national champion. Mm-hmm. Not just event winner, but national champion. And she runs times on par with the fastest guys out there. I know women who do the high-performance instruction, high-performance driving instruction for, uh, for marks all over the world. There's no reason why the stereotype is still in place other than there are a handful of guys who just can't get it through their head that it doesn't make sense for them to keep the women out. I don't understand it. I guess the other side of it that really upsets me is I sold cars back in the 90s for a long time. Women want to talk to other women in that environment, whether it be service or sales. And men want to talk to women in that environment too, for the, for the most part, just because they think that the women, and typically it's, it, it, it can be true, the women are, are shooting them straight and the, and the guys that are in that field a lot of times are the little, yeah, they're a little shaky, <laughs> but, but it, it's just, it's crazy to me. Like, I, I guess I, I've, I've, I've talked for too long. I'll let you chime in on that, but it, it drives me nuts, Jamie. It really does. And I get to see it on a firsthand basis all the time. And she, my wife is still in the automotive industry and killing it. The women that I talk to and I've interviewed recorded over 70 women now, and I'm starting to see trends right? I'm starting to put down mental jots. And ultimately, you would think that I'd put together a handbook for women. But the direction that I'm going, to be quite honest, is putting together this little, I'm referring to it as a handbook. (laughs) But literally, this is just a concept. And you guys are the first ones I'm sharing it with. Uh, I haven't shared it with anyone else. Um, But putting together this little cheat sheet, if you will, or playbook or handbook for men and for trade schools. Now, as as silly as that may sound, I don't have to teach women or explain to women what the experience is like for a female. They already experience that every day. What I'm finding is, is that there is a huge opportunity in the education space and at these trade schools where women don't even make it out of the trade school. And it's not that they're smart, not smart enough. It's not that they're not capable enough. I mean, I interviewed uh, Shelby Levisky. She's from Canada and she works on buses. So she's navigating heavy diesel equipment every day. And she's this petite little thing. So it's not, Sean, you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's not a size thing here, but they're not even making it out of the trade school because there is so much bullying going on either from the, the actual instructor or from other guys in the class. That's step one. And step two is, I've, like I said earlier, I genuinely believe the majority of men want to help women in this industry, but they're not quite sure how. What do I explore with women on the podcast? Yes, you're sharing your story, but I often ask the question, hey, if you could tell shop owners something that they could do to create a safe, welcoming environment to women, what would you tell them? 
And you'd be shocked at the answers I get. They are so simple. One of them's like when I go to an interview in a shop, before I leave the interview or midway through the interview, I will ask, or maybe even before the interview, I will ask to use the restroom. If the restroom is clean, just clean, that's it. We're not talking about top of the line stuff, just clean where there's not pee all over the seat and, you know, <laughs> there's right? She then seriously considers that shop as an option. And that's something that as as a guy, we would never probably even think. Well, I mean, a lot of us would because I'm not working in a, in a dirty place like that. But there are a lot of guys that are just like, hey, they don't care. I get to I get to hear about a lot of it just because my wife is part of that industry. I, I do, and and I think I have a, a little more insight than the average guy out there. But one of the things that I've seen over the years, and I want you to address this, Jamie, in a big way, I see young women getting involved in either motorsport at an early age or restoration, building a hot rod with their dad, their mom, their uncle, their grandfather, whoever it is, they get into it at an early age and they love it. And I have a really good friend here in Alabama whose daughter literally was the fastest 13-year-old on a go-kart in the state of Alabama at one point. And Maddie was like, I think I want to race for a living. And I I really think I want to do this and I want to do that. And she turned 15 and literally the switch just went... It just went off and I've been racing since I was four and I just turned 50 and I've seen a lot of young women or girls at a really early age, get involved in motorsport and they get to that 13 to 15 year old age and it goes away. And I don't know what, where that, how do you take something that you're so passionate about that you're talking about it being the thing you do for the rest of your life and then it just the switch just goes off. Like I, I know it happens for some guys too, but like the three of us that are on here with you, Jamie, I, it's never switched off. Like my mm-hmm. mother, I still talk to her, and she's like, "When are you going to stop playing with cars?" I'm never like, on the 14th, neverary. Yeah, speak for yourself, Sean. Mine goes on, off, on. It's like a strobe light up there. Does, does it really? Does it really? Some, some days, some days I get Seriously? really. There are days I question. Yeah. And, Anyway, we don't need to talk really? about it. Okay. <laughs> no, that's that's cool. That's that's cool. I, I mean, it's cool to hear because I have walked away from certain aspects of vehicular involvement in my life at, at various times, but there's always been some involvement level. of whether it's building something, just driving something that I love, going out and actually racing, being involved as a, as an instructor or whatever. But I, I just it's always fascinated me because. There aren't enough women, I I feel, there aren't enough women behind the wheel and in the garage at racetracks around the world. I can't speak from, it was Maddie, right? I, I can't, st- I love that. that name, it's cute. I can't speak for Maddie, but just speaking from my personal experience, I've always loved cars, always, ever since I was a little girl. And I know you guys uh, checked out the the About Us page on Femcanic. Com, but I mean, you love Pontiacs. I'm going to give you. <laughs> hey, whoa! whoa. Careful what you're saying, there, buddy. Because I'm, I'm I was going to say I, I'm waiting to talk to Jamie about that because we're like kindred spirits in that. Okay, it's all you. Well, I want her to answer your question about the switch. 
my personal experience, Sean, this isn't all women's experience or girls' experience, oh, it right? It can't be. It can't but be. I, I feel one of the biggest differences is that for girls, young girls, in my experience, I wasn't discouraged with play, to play with cars, right? I was never discouraged, but I also was never encouraged. Okay. Right. I mean, think about when you walk into a store. I'm sorry, I'm going to do some storytelling here, but the most downloaded episode of Femcanic Garage podcast is, I believe it's episode 10. It's Julia Langoria. The title of it is, Yeah, I'm a Girl and. This mother is a human rights lawyer in Texas. And I met her at a Women in Machine event in San Antonio, Texas. And this mother is not, she wasn't really into cars. Her husband is a mechanical engineer and they redid, I think it was a 70 or 71 GTL. And I saw it in the car show section because this was an all-females event to create a safe environment where women could ask questions, try to change a tire and not feel stupid. And they went. And I saw the GTO and I immediately beelined over there. And I was interested immediately because, yes, I am a Pontiac girl. I love my GTOs. And this little, she was probably like six years old at the time, I believe, because this was last year, literally darts out of the car. And I'm, I say to the mom, I'm like, oh, my God, I love your car. She pops out and she said, that's not her car. That's my car. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, wow. look at this little fireball. <laughs> Um, her name's Juliana, and she is Mexican-American, and in the Mexican culture, there are definite gender roles that women fall into. This little girl went to, it was either preschool or kindergarten, I can't remember which one exactly, and she came home one day and told her mom that I don't want to be a little girl anymore. Her mom's a rock star, and she's sharing this with me on my podcast. And I'm, I'm just dead silent. And I'm like, well, what did you say? And she's, she's like, well, I wanted to explore it with her. I wanted to understand why this six-year-old girl at six years old did not want to be a little girl anymore. Her daughter proceeds to tell her, and I'm summarizing here, the things I love to do, mommy, I'm not allowed to do. I like fishing. I like being in the garage with, with daddy. I don't want to play dolls and all my friends play dolls. And I, I got choked up and that's society for you, Sean. It, this six-year-old knew that when she went to McDonald's for her to get a toy that she actually liked, she knew that she had to order a boy's Happy Meal and not a girl's. It's possibly more of a societal issue than a microcosm. There, it's a- probably a little bit of both. To be honest, I, I think it is both. But if I would have been encouraged, Sean, and, and I'm not beating up on my parents, don't get me wrong, but I I was five, six years old cleaning car parts. I would go to drag races and swap meets with my stepdad. And there's these tests, like tests or challenges you can do about hand-eye coordination to see how quickly you can get off the line and really testing a lot of that. And my stepdad built engines for race cars. He wanted to build me a race car. 
he had everything there to do it. Matter of fact, it's still sitting in his garage. It's a Camaro. There are plenty of women killing it in drag racing. Right? Y'all's mm-hmm. reaction time is amazing. But I wasn't encouraged to do it. I just wasn't encouraged. And then you get off at teenage years, you get off the, the train, so to speak, with that because you're a teenager. And if you're not encouraged or cult, or you cultivate that, you just kind of move off into the normal, everyday teenage life. Was it a conscious or subconscious level that you weren't encouraged to do it on? Do you get what I'm saying there? Like, do you think um, those that were really close to you didn't even realize because of the way society is typically set up in those situations, they didn't even realize that they weren't pushing you in the direction that you were showing them you, you wanted to I go. I totally with. agree with that, Sean. I think you hit the nail on the head because even today, I think, you know, <laughs> God love my parents. <laughs> my brother, we're we're a car family. We like cars. We'll sit in, you know, a family annual event is sitting down and watching Barrett Jackson and my brother makes his annual chili and we sit around and drink, eat and watch Barrett Jackson. Maybe sports. What do you what do you love? Right. That that's our kind of family get together thing. And and that's kind of our bond, like that's kind of our connection bonding thing. And you know, it's interesting that I loved those things. My brother likes it, but it that's kind of where it starts and stops, right? My brother didn't go buy a car when he was 19 and restored it. I did when I was 19. Right. And I I showed these things, but it it's one of those things. It was purely self-driven, not because in, in a couple a few years ago gives you any inclination. I do not cook. I hate cooking. I, I love working with my hands. I, you know, I just some people can look at ingredients and be like, "Ooh, that those two ingredients will taste so good together. I'm like, what? That sounds disgusting. <laughs> Right. I, and then it works. And it works. It works. But that's like the people are like, well, read the menu. You'll know exactly. I'm like, reading the menu doesn't do crap for me. But honestly, it's like, okay, <laughs> meat. It, it's more of, why don't you order something? I'll order something. I'll try both and see which one I like better. And maybe we can share. <laughs> but if, if I started talking to you about the differences between turbocharging and supercharging? Are you are you all in on that? Oh, I would love to have conversation. And I'm not <laughs> saying and I'm an expert. I think that's what makes me a good host for my podcast is because I don't claim I know it all, right? right. I, I learn so much from every one of my guests because that, that's the interesting thing about automotive. There is so much breadth to it from journalism to painting to mechanics to realism painting. I don't know if you've ever heard of Shan Fannin awesome name, by the way. She's a professional painter. And her chrome that she paints looks better than the original pictures. I mean, her work is amazing. And welders and, you know, it's all of this and really opening people's eyes to how broad and how many true opportunities there are in the automotive industry. And I think that's one of the key things I want to open up the eyes to a lot of females is that you can be in, lo- be in the automotive industry, love the automotive industry, and that doesn't mean you have to be a mechanic or paint cars. All right. So I just went to, uh, I-, I, had to look her, I had to look her up. She's sitting in front of a 50 Chevy pickup that looks real. That's her painting. 
That's insanity. It's insane, Sean. Like <laughs> I, I'm it's really cool. It was supposed to be this year, but thanks to COVID, didn't happen. But hopefully in 2021 will be the first uh annual Femcanic Garage all female. It's gonna be women in uh women owned whips. Yep, that's it right there. Her her work's amazing. I interviewed her. She is an amazing lady. She's she um homeschooled her boys and she ended up once her boys were off and going off to college she actively in her 40s started her painting career (laughs) and now she does like marathons she's in and this all started in her 40s it's never too late it's never too late i mean yeah if you're passionate about it just do it it's kind of like we were talking before we started this and you were talking about maybe doing video just do it. Yeah. Just do it. Just jump in. I mean, if, if you have passion for it and you really want to do it, figure out a way to go for it. Yes. Don't overthink Definitely it. Figure out a way Don't to fall go into it. analysis paralysis. Let's find, I want to, I want to poke in a little bit and let's get a little bit of history about Jamie on this. And I know Derek just wants to dive in because of a couple of things that are in, in your bio. <laughs> yes. What? What? I don't know what you're talking about, John. No, no. I actually, I, I apologize. I made some noise there a minute ago because you keep touching on things and I have no short-term memory and I started for to forget what I was wanting to talk about. <laughs> so I was trying to find notebook. I was trying to find my notepaper and, and a pen. And then, you know, Sean kind of covered some of the things that were just really popping into my mind because outside of the automotive world, I studied obviously automotive restoration, grew up restoring cars in my dad's shop. I studied the history of technology in American history and diving into that societal roles that you and Sean were talking about and just kind of what's been ingrained in our culture for so long was one of those things, but you guys already dove into that. And I was just like, you know what, they're going at it. Let's just step back. But I, I think that's one of the biggest I'm going to say for probably lack of a a better way to say it, you know, it's kind of one of the biggest shames in our culture and our society is that kind of downplay of, of what women can do in and what they are capable of and not being that glass ceiling that Sean was talking about with his wife, you know? in my, you know, screw all that. We're, (laughs) we're all talented in different ways and let's let it shine. And it's just something that really bothers me. But John was talking about, I love the fact I was reading through your, your bio and your about page. And I I made the joke a little bit ago that we're kindred spirits in in some way, maybe you probably haven't listened to our show or studied the hosts or anything like that. I've done a little bit of homework. Do you know what my first car was? Wasn't it a uh, Pontiac? Yes. It was the least favorite. Yours was probably the second least favorite GTO ever built. I had the 74 Pontiac GTO when they switched over to the Ventura. Oh, body I, style. I, I got you covered, and, buddy. Uh, my uh, <laughs> my mom owns the 73 GTO, and that's the heirloom. All, all of the GTOs that could be the heirloom for our family, and it's the 73, arguably the ugliest <laughs> of the GTOs. It's 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 between the 73 and the 74. You, you you know you talk to GTO guys, some of them will include the 73 because it was still the Le Mans body style. Ugh. 
is an ugly vehicle. But it was the ugly Le Mans body mm-hmm. style. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then in, in 74, they go to the Venture and everybody's like, it's a freaking Nova. Nobody wants that. What are you doing? Yeah. I'm like, it's, uh, it's cool. Uh, <laughs> the best part of the, the 74 GTO was that it was simply the Ventura. And then you added packages on top of it. And, you know, GTO was that way for a while. There were only a few years that it truly was a GTO car. The 74 I had, it was ridiculous. It was a Ventura with drum brakes, but then you put the custom package on it. Yes, mine looked just like the one in the original brochure. It was red, Uh, too. Buccaneer red, everything. Oh, yeah, Buccaneer red. Yeah. I didn't have enough money at the time to fully buy it out from him. He decided to sell it. I still missed the car terribly. The guy ordered it with like the Ventura custom package and then the GTO package on top of it. It was just this ridiculous car. I just, I love the fact that, you know, you write about the 73 Pontiac GTO and, and that was, you know, that car that you're so connected with. For me, that 74, even though I don't still have it, there's so much in that car of where I am today. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's a cool, cool thing to think back on. So I I just think it's awesome that, you know, you're kind of tied into that 73. And and that was my mom's car. And when I was 19, I bought a 67 GTO convertible and redid that one. My mom liked racing that car. She blew the original engine in it, which was the 400. And my stepdad's talked her into putting a 455 in it so why not (laughs) why not right (laughs) and i ultimately in my 67 that had a 400 ho originally and i bought that car from Mm. um a gentleman in texas and trailered it to ohio it probably should have been crushed but it was an authentic gto couldn't do it every floorboard was rotted out terribly there's very little sheet metal that did not need replaced on that car and there is no way that was originally a texas car no way had to get a salvage title for it put a 455 in it posi traction had had a lot of fun i don't do body work um my stepdad is really really a whiz with rebuilding engines he's a mopar guy but just brilliant at it we won't hold it against him <laughs> I, I love your stepdad, it, it, uh, your stepdad is awesome. he, he has some pretty rare pretty rare challenger and charger um but it, I, I just growing up around that was just fun i just for some reason the favorite year for me personally of a gto is a 67 i i love the body style I loved the mesh grill. I loved mm-hmm. the taillights too then. And we still have the 73. My mom still has it. And that's the car that when my brother and I were little, we would get excited going around the turns fast because we just slide in the back seat back and forth because of the vinyl seats. There's just so many back when your parents wouldn't be put in jail for not having car seats and seatbelts. <laughs> I was heartbroken when... GM decided to, to, I understand why they did it and making the decisions on vehicles that they sold under the Pontiac um, model. There's no wonder why it went under an Aztec. Really? Come on. I like the Aztec. There's, and there's a story behind the engineering and development of the Aztec. I I know, but it's just, oh man. No, the biggest problem I had with it 
I have, I, I probably have an unpopular opinion in, in the automotive world, but when they brought back the GTO and they made it a Holden Monero crossover, like stupidest thing. I just, that ruined it. That ruined. Oh my God. I was so disappointed in that, Derek. I, I just, oh. Oh, and they, see, there's another connection with the 74 Pontiac GTO and the Aztec. The only two Pontiacs ever offered with a tent option from factory. Useless information for the night. Did Sorry. you see the concept, the 1999 concept of the GTO? I still have my photos from the Detroit Auto Show because I went to see that car specifically. That was a sweet freaking car. That did the GTO justice if they would have brought that yes. back. And ironically, if you hold that up next to the, the Camaros. The Camaro, exactly. Except for the GTO God. design came out first. Oh, yeah. They basically took. The 1999 yeah. GTO concept, it's orange. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the newer Camaros, there is a very, very similar. Oh, direct relationship. It uh, yeah no literally Sean type in type in the 1999 Pontiac GTO concept and when it comes up, up you're gonna immediately think Camaro this would have been the rebirth of the this GTO. would have I totally agree with you Derek I was so excited when I saw this concept I literally started saving money <laughs> yes I'm yeah. like I want this. And then it never happened. Oh, I mean, look at the look at this picture right here. The first one on the, the top row. Somebody took a Camaro yeah. and basically did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is definitely that that has to be the genesis of the, the rebirth of the Camaro without a doubt. But it's it's I, I've never seen that car. It started in Pontiac. Yeah, I went to Kobo that year. That was one of the specific cars I went to see that year at Kobo. And I still have my photos of it somewhere. Sure. I can locate them, but I love that car. That 99 concept is cool. And in, in that it's a concept, but these, wait a second. Why haven't I thought, why haven't I thought, Oh my God. I just realized like I'm being stupid. I have a direct connection to the heritage center. That car probably still exists. <laughs> I can probably actually see it, get more. You can go drill on it. it. And I actually drool on it. What am I? What am I? I heard for? that the interior was not actually even in there. Is that true for the? You know what, Jamie? I'm gonna find I'm out for you. Curious. I'm gonna find out for you and me both. I, it's, send me a picture, like a real picture of that bad boy. I will. I've got to go up there and do some research anyway. So yeah, I was so disappointed in that, and just gave up when I saw what they brought back. If that picture right there is any indication. Then no, the interior doesn't exist. Because what well, you're not sure. Oh, am I not? Anymore, okay. So I have no clue Oops. what picture you're it talking about. It was definitely <laughs> a computer. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely CG and and old. CG. Well, yeah, oh. that is, and it may have been a push mobile. You know, I mean, old CG. Oh yeah, that's like that's 1999 CG. Sweet CG. That looks like uh, Tron. Maybe like, even 98 or or 97. Tron. That was like right around Tron time. That's crazy. So we've really derailed this discussion. I apologize, John. I don't know where we were supposed to go with this. I don't this. know. We're, ha- we're doing. We're supposed to be talking about cars, and we're talking about cars. We're doing no driving gloves. Maybe we'll rotate back around. Yeah, it even had the hood tack. In I read yes. articles yeah. because I I was bitter about it, and I started researching years ago. Like, why didn't this come about? Oh, there's a picture. 
looks like the the concept. You got to get on that, Derek, and see if you can get like actual pictures. I'm, after this episode, I will probably email my contacts up there and see if it was crushed or if it's crushed. Still, they would crush that. Still around if it's yeah. Yeah. Uh, GM crushes a number of the the concepts. Yeah. Oh. That's so disappointing. All of them do. Isn't that painful? It's extremely yeah. painful. <laughs> oh, that just hurt my heart. I will I will find out though, man, because yeah. you know, this actually kind of organically leads into you talk about challenges in oh, I'm sorry, I'm just staring at this Detroit <laughs> auto show. Uh, so am I, don't worry. <laughs> gorgeous vehicle. Anyway. Stop distracting me, Sean. <laughs> There, there you go. <laughs> and we're it's, back in the room. Right. And we're back in the room. Uh, is an age, uh, I don't want to use the word discrimination. That sounds really harsh. I don't mean it that harsh. But I know when I was 19 and I was working on my GTO, there there was this these two camps almost. The, the one camp is, wow, that's so cool. You're a girl and you're only 19 and this is a 67, right? And then there's the camp of you're too young to appreciate a car like this. I remember feeling like this, why can't I appreciate this? But there, I did get some of that. Nobody needs that kind of negativity in their life. Just seriously, if whether you're a man or a woman at that level, like we went out and found the first car that I ever had when I was 14 years oh, old wow. and it was a 69 Camaro. And I heard the same thing as a guy. They were like, well, why does, what does a 14 year old in 1984 want with a 69 Camaro? Yeah. It's freaking awesome. <laughs> it's, right. It's, I mean, that's, I got the 74 GTO right about like 15. It was actually a guy my dad worked with at the GM dealership, had it. And the first thing my dad said to me was, why do you want that? Those things were a piece of junk when they came out. <laughs> Gas, tire, and oil. <laughs> right? yeah. Well, and the 74s had the subframe, and they were notorious for rotting at the body mounts to the subframe and twisting the car and all that. But, you know, okay, I get it, but we're going to rebuild it anyway, so it's going to be brand new. And, and nothing against my dad. It's kind of like you just said, you know, you, you're not trying to blast your parents on the show or anything. And, you know, he was working at the dealerships when the car came out, so he had a whole different perspective on it. Whereas I was looking at it from the perspective, man, that's a cool car. It's vintage. Mm -hmm. It's got a good look. I think he realized that. I mean, literally, he came home from work one day. I was doing my homework at the kitchen table. And he literally looked at me and was like, catch. And he threw something that at me in the air. And it was a set of keys to the car. Oh, wow. That's way cool. You know, it was just like, and there was that like turning point, I think, for him where he realized He's been working on cars with me for years in the shop and doing stuff, and he's into it. I can't be hard on him for liking a car that I didn't like when it came out. This right. is something he likes. Let's make it happen. Yeah, I agree. You know, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Sean, but no, you're good. Nobody needs negativity in their life in any way. I mean, let people do what they're going to do. Yes. I say, I don't think it's a, a sexist thing or it is a generational happening because no matter what, I came up through the hot rod Hondas. And I've said this before many times, you know, I did car stereo. Wait, I thought you came up through mini trucks. Did that too. <laughs> ah, yeah, It's kind of the same thing. Car stereos, convertible trucks and things like that. And people just, older people always made fun of you. And you could, you know, you couldn't go to the show with the old classic cars. We had to have our own things. And that was 1990. It's, it just kind of continues. And we've talked on the show here that, you know, kids aren't into cars anymore. And we've looked at the different ways that kids are into cars. 
we just have to quit being negative about the younger generation getting into cars. Somehow they all find him. I just put something on our Facebook page today or yesterday referring to somebody did a big study or a large study and found out kids are still into cars. It's kind of proving what we've said. And it's unfortunate that Jamie, you get discouraged and Derek, you get discouraged and Sean's in his own world. And, you know, I got discouraged even though I wasn't playing with vintage stuff, but it's just not the stuff that's cool to the old people or it's young people who are irresponsible in everybody's minds having this stuff that should, you know, probably more they're jealous that you have it at 19 than they didn't weren't able to get it until they were 50 or 60 years old. I kind of go through that sometimes myself. I see, I can't believe I didn't have that when I'm 30 and he's 30 and you know, he's got a Lamborghini. Yeah. He he got into (laughs) something other than auto restoration. (laughs) (laughs) Why does he have a Koenigsegg and I don't? That's crazy. Um, It's only one-to-one. At at 30. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I think, A lot of this comes around to, and this is obviously oversimplifying it, but it really comes back around to why can't we all just get along? Mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm. I saw it firsthand when I was younger because my first car was the 69 Camaro. Then I went out and I bought a 66 Volkswagen Beetle because I thought it was cool. And I had a couple, a couple friends that liked the air-cooled VW stuff, but most of my friends when I was in high school I mean, there was a 40 Ford hot rod. There was a 71 Torino. There was a 69 Nova. There was a handful of Camaros. There was a little Chevy love truck with a small block in it. There was all of us had hot rods. And then I go out and buy this little 1776 CC 66 Volkswagen Beetle. And all my hot rod friends were like, what the hell are you doing? What, why would you do that? And I, it's almost like the, the community is so fractured. A lot of people just don't want to remove the blinders and just basically say, if it's cool, it's cool. Or if you're into it, you're into it. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, how you got there. You're just into it. I, I've been fortunate enough to where I, I literally, I mean, I, I have friends that call me a car whore. I will call myself a car whore. I will literally drive whatever you want me to drive. If you're going to throw me the keys at a racetrack and autocross on a back road, whatever, I don't care if it's low horsepower, high horsepower, all wheel drive, rear wheel drive, front wheel drive, automatic, manual, paddle shifted. Don't care. Throw me the keys. It's a car. I'm going to go have fun with it. I and am with you, Sean. That act- I've thought about being like, what, <laughs> yeah, it's- what, are, what do they call the uh, valet? Valets, just to be able to drive. Oh, I've got a story about being a That's valet. Awesome. To get paid That's to do awesome. it? Like, I'm getting paid to drive yeah. these cars. It, like, that. the thought has entered my mind. <laughs> I can drive standard. So. Find a really nice restaurant. Right. Yeah, I've got That's a story cool. about a valet job, if, if y'all want to hear it. No, not really. Absolutely. I'll edit it out if I don't want to hear it. <laughs> exactly. You're going to edit it. So when I worked at Henry Ford Museum part-time, I was finished up college. So I had my degree, you know, still working part-time. You know, you haven't moved into that full-time job yet. So I was like, all right, well, I'll get a second job to try to make a little more money. One of the, I think it was one of the hotels in Ann Arbor was hiring valets. So I applied. And because I had a degree, I was too qualified for the job. They didn't want 
But, you know, they didn't look at the fact that I could drive pretty much any car that would roll up, whether it was from 1900 or 2000, I had it covered. And it's like, I can drive stick shifts. I can drive planetary drive. I can, I can drive whatever you want me to drive. They're like, no, no, we're good. Thanks. I'm like, all right, fine. If somebody actually applies for the position, that means that they want the job for one reason or another. I, I, that, that drives me crazy. Oh, so yeah. I was really just like, I, I did not understand it. I was like, I actually want the job because I can drive the cars Yeah, and I know how to do it and I know how to treat them. They're like, yeah, we don't care. I'm like, all right, good. Go hire some kid that's going to fry a clutch. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. Always had that second job. And I don't, I don't know why, but I'm just always have had a second job and I have my good resume and I have my dumbed down resume because you can't tell these dumbed down jobs of some of the, the stuff you do. It's like Sean says, it's kind of ridiculous. I do understand the point from the HR, HR, but there is a reason you want it. And, so, you know, sometimes we can say you know, a lot of times I have a second job so that I can pay for the toy cars. That's a motivation for me. But no, you don't you don't want to you can't be a valet because you don't have or you don't have the need to be a valet, I guess, is what I'm trying to mumble through. That's a great point, John. And I, I mean, it's there is so much to be learn from those roles, right? You know, I, I have my day job, but I've podcasting is my, you know, passion project. So that takes up my time. But if I weren't doing that, who knows? I may, I may be working in a shop to just learn the ins and outs of the shop. And I've even my day job, I work at, I'm a program process improvement manager there, but I'm looking, I've looked into attending like the installation training and the repair training just to learn those things there's like learning to be done around so much in the automotive industry and that's what fascinates me i owned a repair company for several years do it it's fun i a a windshield repair company it's i don't know why i love that so much but it's it's like working on a puzzle and everyone is different it's it is it's a rubik's cube it's i really enjoy it there's there's stuff that you it it's a, it's amazing to me how many automotive people i'll talk about and then when you say auto glass you kind of get the cocked head and it's like it's on every vehicle like seriously <laughs> yeah. you look through it every day you drive it and they get broken a, a lot. lot yes and but it, they pull play a major role in the safety of the vehicle the 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 structural integrity of it yes absolutely and there's so much to it you you pop off those moldings and there's so many different makes and models that you could cut pinch welds and you cut a pinch weld that could turn into a very expensive claim Mm -hmm. it just there's so many pieces to it. Ask me what it's like when one of your technicians goes out and and literally slices the entire front edge of a leather Maserati dashboard. Oh, that's nobody so much, asking. So much. Nobody asking. So much fun. Oh, I don't think anyone has to. Oh, Jamie's already literally Jamie right now is peeing a little bit. And, and she's, she's crying, like shaking, and she's crying. Yeah. The era you were doing that. In, <laughs> what are we talking about? B turbo, a four twenty five. <laughs> no, it was a quadruple. Hang on, I'm writing up a, a conservation treatment for that. We could put the <laughs> put the cut back together. Right. <laughs> nice. Nice. We got to keep the original leather in it, right? Uh, sure, sure. No, we didn't. We just put a dash oh. on. It. 
I used to work for a company called Diamond Triumph. I don't know if you they were probably before your time in the, in the industry, Jamie. I don't know. Yeah, I was a territory manager for Diamond Triumph for several years. You and I probably it's, have a lot of the same stuff. And I don't I <laughs> I try to spend as much time in the field as possible. I'm what they affectionately refer to in the Ivory Tower. Um <laughs> but cuz we're uh headquartered. So, but I I try to get out in the field as much as possible because those are the folks that I support and to try to ultimately improve their overall field employee experience. Are you involved in any of the continuing education processes for insurance companies and stuff like that? Or or just, are you more the, the field, field tech? I'm not personally, but uh, one of my peers is heavily involved around a lot of that. There There is so much to do it. it. It would blow people's minds, especially now with all the yeah. sensors. When I first got involved with it, I was just like, it's a piece of glass. And then about a week later, it's I, a little more. Oh, yeah. But now we do ADAS <laughs> recalibrations and you replace a windshield. And if they have any uh, ADAS, it, uh, it requires recalibration. So we're one of the leading companies that does ADAS recalibrations for cars. We have dealerships that even come. So you have at, at like branch locations, you have specific bays set up for. That's correct. All the all target plan. boards, okay. everything, all the training. Yeah. Um, we're partnered with the companies, a lot of German companies actually, to do the recalibrations and to make sure we have all of the proper software and technology to do that. Tesla's always a pain, all that proprietary. <laughs> they don't want you messing with their stuff, man. No, and, and yeah. I, I get it. I get it. It's just, it's mind boggling. We're working, my partner and I are working on a 1965 Ford Econoline van right now. Uh, it's named Chinita. Um, my partner's Puerto Rican and Chinita stands for little orange in Spanish. Well, this is just a big orange. <laughs> okay. But the stories, repairmen and stuff, they walk past that van and they get around 50 or 60 years old. Inevitably, either they wrote in their friends or their friend had one or they had one. And there is always carpet on the ceiling of it. Is it the flat yep. front? Flat front. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. Three on the tree. That's what we're working yeah, on. Cool. And you go from trying to uh, tune carburetors to having 10 to 15 computers on cars now. It's insane. 10 to 15 on a lot of cars these days is tiny. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's just in the uh, dashboard. <laughs> Yeah. Anymore. BMW has individual computers for every light in the dash. Can you imagine working? I I just, this, this industry. (laughs) Wow. I mean, just the technology to support the technology Mm -hmm. on these cars is going to price out. I imagine price out of a lot of mom and pop shops, just having to buy the equipment to support it. Uh, We've had a local shop. I talked with a guy couple of years ago about a certain model of a car you know he couldn't believe it because you know it's twenty five thirty thousand dollars per year to have the software required to work on the car and it's exactly what you said the manufacturers are required by law to make the software and the diagnostic tools available to everybody but there's no law to cap the pricing and that's you know they give it to their sounds like healthcare in the united states Yep, they give it to the dealerships for free, <laughs> but if you you want to do it in your independent repair shop, and I know a couple instances where an, an, another shop would come and borrow it from 
certain people. And it's kind of why you play, you know, play politics and it's all in who, you know, if you can still maintain your independent repair shop, it's, yeah, you know, it's going to be Jiffy Lube or the dealership anymore. And look at all the issues the Ford dealerships had with the aluminum truck beds yep. and the special equipment needed and dealerships started basically we'll ship your damaged truck from our dealership to a different one. Cause we're not going to spend the money to get all the equipment. To me, I think that's becoming one of the biggest problems in the auto industry, but it's also because where the industry's headed with the type of vehicles that they're looking at building and eventually people not actually owning cars that they get serviced. Yeah, we're getting into a whole nother episode. You, you know, Porsche just Yeah, yeah, sorry. Porsche just introduced it's the second time they've they've done it, but it's you, there's two levels for their lease program and it's two rough two grand, twenty five hundred dollars a month, and you get a choice between three Porsches. And you can rotate them all you want, or there's another one that's like $3,800 a month, and you get three Porsches, and you can rotate them all you want. You know, you want a 911 for $3,800 a month? $3,800 a yeah, month. We're talking, yeah, we're talking about $200,000 cars, though. Yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah, you yeah. can go in, get a GT3, and use it for the weekend, and then go back out and get your, uh, Mac- not Macan, a Cayenne Turbo S, or you can hop into the, the Taycan you know, for that, but your insurance is included all mate. You never have to pay maintenance on the car. You just drive it, you know, you drive the car for a week or two and take it back. You know, you want a 911 to drive to work during the week, and then you're going to go camping on the weekends. You go get your SUV. And uh, I believe Volvo's got a similar program and yeah, Volvo care, you know, for many years, I've said car manufacturers, like Derek just said, don't want us to own cars. They want us to rent cars. And then they can control how long the cars are out there. You know, car comes off lease in three years. The manufacturer gets to decide whether or not it gets to be resold or they're just going to take it back and scrap it. You know what I would find interesting in just the the state of like recycling and everything is where the hell do you put all of this stuff? Smashed cars. Like, it's like, ah, three years, we're done. Let's toss it. A lot of the stuff is recyclable like like truly recyclable but there are parts that you just they have to go just about everything out of a car is recyclable um unless you're talking some of the electrics and now we're beginning the experimental stages of the recyclable batteries too but i have a friend who owns a scrap yard and he deals in all kinds of materials and is (laughs) i always think of fred samford as the junk man and no this guy's a little bit more like uh (laughs) he's got some nice cars and a big house our houses, let's just put it that way. So, you know, there's there's money in recycling if you know how to play the yeah. game. <laughs> Garbage, recycling, and dentists. They have the best car collections I've ever seen. Dentists, garbage men. What was the and, other one? And scrap. Okay. Je- recyclers, like scrap. Recyclers yeah, yeah. and scrap. Well, yeah. LeMay Le had the... Uh, LeMay was a garbage. Yep. And there's another big one right now, huge collection that's a garbage or bounce houses. But that's a whole nother thing. Oh, too. yeah. <laughs> wow. We're in the wrong industry. I say that <laughs> the every wrong, day. The wrong, <laughs> the wrong focus part. You know, I used to work with the appraisal company that appraised the LeMay estate and all 3,600 cars or so in that estate. But do you know what he didn't have in his estate, Derek? I'll give you one guess. What? A GTO. No. 73 GTF. What, do what you was think, the question? What do you think Harold LeMay did not have in his largest collection of vehicles in the world? A garbage truck. No, he <laughs> No, he did have a garbage truck. That's right. He did have one. 
I don't remember. Zamboni. A Zamboni. That would be it. I can go through my binder and there's no Zambonis in that collection. Dang it. Does that mean the episode's over? Well, I, mean, I think one, we've been going for like now? two hours. Well, we're hour 15 into the episode and you know we had a 20-minute pre-show or so. And we only asked the guests for 60 minutes. So we do. Jamie hasn't she's been out yet, so evidently, <laughs> I'm yeah, enjoying the conversation. Very much so. I We can keep going. I don't have to work in the morning. <laughs> I, I'm I, self-employed, and so Sean. So. Well, there you have it. Yeah, my boss is a jerk, <laughs> complete jerk. Oh, that, that that's impossible. I, just out of the Lamont Estate, where where was he based out of? Lemay, L-E-M-A-Y. Um, he's uh, Tacoma, Washington. He's got the uh, what's the name of the museum, Derek? The America's collection was actually split up into two, and so you now have America's Car Museum, the Lemay. But then you also have the LeMay Family Foundation at Marymount. Both are fantastic. But if you ever get out there, definitely go to Marymount and the family collection because it is the way that Harold LeMay had it. It's still in all the outbuildings. Wow. Cars just kind of crammed into wherever they would go. Some really cool exhibits, you know, displays set up and, and a lot more than just cars. I mean, it was just mind-blowing. We had one of our professional museum conferences there one year, and it was fantastic. I mean, it is just amazing uh, what he was able to collect. There's actually stories, you know, talking to the family members that are, you know, the kids are still around, you know, talking to them. It got to a point where Mr. LeMay did not know what he had, and he was reading the newspaper one day. And there was an article about a warehouse in downtown Tacoma full of old cars. And he basically went into one of his, you know, guys at the the collection, you know, worked for the garbage company and threw the paper down and said, I don't know what, where that warehouse that is, but find out what kind of cars are in it. And if they're anything good, I want to buy them. And the guy looked at the paper, looked at it, looked back up and he went, well, you already own all those, sir. That's your warehouse. (laughs) Yeah. That's that is how many cars he had, and he just could not keep track of them. Could you imagine? Or when the company went, I wasn't on the team to go there to do the appraisal of the collection. They had no clue of how many cars he had. He kept his titles in garbage bags. They had a closet in his office that had titles just shoved in it. And what they would do is grab a bunch of titles and then stack them, hand them out to the five appraisers that were there. And then it's go find the cars. Harold had a tendency, very, very, very nice man, very polite. You know, he drove to oh, Hers- yeah. Hershey from Washington State to Hershey, Pennsylvania, up until like one year before he died, and he died in his passed away in his late 80s. He'd lend cars. People would say, Hey, I need to borrow such and such for a parade or this event. And he'd say, Oh, yeah. And you know, somehow you get the keys. They never bring the cars back. Our guys found cars in people's drive or garages that, oh yeah, I just haven't had time to bring it back. Well, he lent it to you six years ago. You know, <laughs> and wow. know they were what? gone. They when they went through the collection, they found buildings God. that nobody knew he even owned the building. Kind of like Derek just said, that you know, there's Oh, wait, there's another half dozen cars in this building built between buildings. It was well over 3,000 cars with a majority mm-hmm. of them running and functioning and pretty de- decent automobiles. I mean, it really put Bell Hare to shame, you know? Yeah. Wow. 
Hair is a big collection, though. I mean, that's mm-hmm. we did an event at, at the LeMay. We didn't get to go to the family, uh, the family collection, Derek, but we did one at the regular LeMay Museum with SRT, and it, it's it is worth checking out without a doubt. I'd love to check out the family collection. That that's that sounds amazing. I took my son to it was a smaller collection here in Columbus when he was like four or five. My son loves cars. He's 10 now, but for years he's like learned and he can look at a car and be able to tell you make model. And it all started with explaining to him years ago, the difference between what a make is versus a model. And now he's just, now he just looks them up on, you know, he'll Google all of these himself and start studying them. And it just blows my mind. See, what's his favorite car? He loves Tesla. He loves the Tesla cars, but he really he talks a lot about Bugattis. He, he likes the exotic cars. Classic or classic or current Bugatti? He, I'm guessing he's lo- he's looking up more of the more the Veyron, Veyron the Veyron. yeah, oh yeah, yeah. But it just fascinates me because he's been doing that for years, and he annoys the hell out of his older sister. They're two years nine months apart, and we'll be driving down. He's literally just. That's that car. That's that car. Look at that car, Jaden. And my son's name's Jordan. And Jaden's like, I don't care. <laughs> and he just keeps going. Right. Yeah, he just sounds, keeps going. Sounds like when I'm talking to my fiance about podcasting. <laughs> that sounds like when you're talking to your co-hosts about podcasting. <laughs> I don't care. Let's just talk to cool people. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> talk to cool absolutely. people about cool cars. That's what we're here for. Yes, that's what we're here for. That that is one thing that I love about this industry is it, even though it can be fragmented, and sometimes I see like clicks happening. I don't know any other way to describe it. Where sometimes it can everywhere. be clicky oh, at yeah. conferences. One thing that I really love about it is when you go to a car show and how you can have people that have very very different opinions and views in other aspects of life but you can sit and have a beer, a cup of coffee and talk about this one topic and how it can bring people together, bring generations together, bring genders together. It it just, it's one of the coolest things about the automotive industry to me. I say it quite often and the Viper Club used to use the saying, the Porsche Club uses the saying, the current kind of the motto that it's the cars that bring us together and the people keep us coming back because that is the commonality between everyone. It doesn't matter your political views. It doesn't matter your, it doesn't matter what your views are, your car people. And if we can get That's everybody right. to be like, I would, I'm going to say uh, us four, even though you seem to be a little biased towards Pontiacs, I welcome everything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do, uh, as Derek describes me, the mini truck guy, all the way up to you know, exotic cars and you know, classic you race one cars. one comment and... on one podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and that's you forever. That's you forever. You're never gonna. You're never gonna break out of that mold ever again. Yeah, wait, wait till Derek sees some of the upcoming episodes when we inter- interview the Truxarosa Group and the new Mini Truck and Era magazine. And <laughs> hey, I'm there. Oh my God. <laughs> well, I'm going to send you an email um, or something. I'll go. I'll look on your contact you through your page or something. Because mm-hmm. um, I think I, I wouldn't mind kind of introducing you to a few of the women in the auto industry that I. I know pretty well. I would be honored. A couple designers, uh, folks like that, that I think would probably really 
enjoy talking on your podcast, you know, about their experience in the industry and what they do at General Motors and stuff like that? I would be honored. And uh, it's just femcanicgarage at gmail.com is the best. I think all three of us know people and, you know, we're all from different industries and we're all car people, but Mm -hmm. all all different areas of it. And even Will, who's not on the show, he owns a hot rod shop called Big Oak Garage. I think he even had an intern, either had an intern or he had one hell of an employee who was female. And he absolutely loved having her there because of the the quality of work she did, something like that. So he, he knows a ton of people. And I think all four of us, if you're ever in need of guests, I think we could. I am always looking for that networking. If you guys. I've... Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to get you in touch with the few that I mentioned during the show. Between the three of us. Yeah, we could. All right, guys, not, not to interrupt, but I hear a screaming Later, infant. Derek. See you, so. Derek. Derek, nice to meet you. And uh, I will definitely make the trip down to Kentucky and we can catch lunch and catch a cocktail. Bourbon, lunch and Corvette. Yes, that's sounds beautiful. And heck, I mean, if you swing by the house here, I'll show you the collect car collection I've got here. It's mostly antique stuff. So, oh, that'd be great. I'd be honored. All right, have a good night, guys. Pleasure meeting you, Jamie. And I look forward to talking to you soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Derek. See you later, Derek. Bye. Thank you for listening, and remember to look us up at nodrivinggloves.com. There you can find back episodes, links to products we recommend, and links to all of our social media. Be sure to tell a friend about us. No Driving Gloves is edited and produced by Jay-Lewis Productions. Sean, I'm totally digging your cat. Yeah, Philip is just hanging out, man. I think Philip knows the camera's mm-hmm. on, so he's just like, hey, y'all. Hey, I'm going to play with this uh, little cat toy. It's just well, I'm, around. I'm right here. My, my, my cat's been literally clawing my feet for the last, like, five nice. minutes, and I was waiting for her to just literally jump up and stick her butt in your guys' face. <laughs> there, are f- there are four of them roaming around in, in, in this house, and he's – pretty much the only one that will ever get anywhere near these screens. Uh-huh. Uh, the other ones are just like, now you just do whatever you do over there and yeah. we'll be over here when you, yeah. when you're ready. That That is and awesome. Then, and our greyhounds have relegated themselves to the den. And they literally won't leave the den. Well, it's they're a humongous smoking and they a cigar and having them. a cognac, you know I mean? I No, they're, they're not. They're great dance. They're just, <laughs> they're, they're they're greyhounds. They're greyhounds. Oh, I'm sorry, greyhounds. My bad. Uh, said the wrong do, dog. Do your greyhounds eat vegetables? They will eat just about anything. That it fascinates me. Yeah. I knew someone who had. Um, she would rescue greyhounds from the the racing, and we do. They uh. They're re- they're retired. They're not rescued. They're anymore. retired, and <laughs> they uh. That they, they, they loved vegetables. It was the strangest yeah. thing to me. lettuce brussels sprouts carrots um everything i mean yeah it's like a dog bone to them Mm -hmm. favorite it's one of their favorite snacks absolutely our first greyhound would murder a banana love yeah and my understanding from some vets i've known over time is it's their like palate is different obviously than a human's and things like like our dog loves carrots as well i mean just a raw carrot you throw it down just bam 
gone. Um, but there's, they're actually like, they taste sweet to them. So it's almost like a treat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yep. Whereas to us, it doesn't really taste sweet. Green beans, dogs and green beans. are. You guys know not to give them grapes though, right? Oh yeah. Yes. That was, there's several things that you can't like grapes, chocolate. Yep. I could ask my wife to come in here and she could tell you everything that animals should not eat. That I, th- I remember, um, and it's been years ago, but learning grapes are bad. I'm like, Ooh, God. Yeah. It'll, it'll cause renal failure. Actually. It's mm. terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Oddly, our dog seems to like, know that that's an issue or something. Cause like we've dropped a grape before and she literally bats it around with her nose, but makes no attempts to eat it. Fascinating. Interesting. Ours would have it hoovered before it ever hit the floor from across the room. Like, <laughs> just like, suck it up in. Done, man. Yeah. It wouldn't even hit. It'd be like 40 feet away. <laughs> they're greyhounds. They're fast, man. You don't exactly. even see them coming. Oh, that's hilarious. I, I, I have a dog, but it's, it's an eight pound Maltese mix and uh, he's a lap dog, but his, Nickname is Hoover. That that little dude will eat anything. <laughs> anything. Nice. We had a poodle that ate all of the chocolate out of one of my Easter baskets when I was younger. Like a, a miniature poodle. And my Easter baskets as an only child at the time were not small. Did, what, what happened to it? We, huh? it was, she was hyper for about three hours and then slept for a day and a half. And she was fine. <laughs> I, we were worried to death because, I mean, literally, we we I we got up. The Easter basket was there. I was like, this is amazing. Like, I was probably nine. And I was like, ooh, toys and candy and yay. And, and that's exactly what a nine-year-old needs is a bunch of sugar, right? And then we left and went to church. And then we came home. And literally every chocolate candy bar, Hershey's Kiss, uh, everything that was in there that was chocolate, the wrappers were on the floor and it was gone. And the dog, like poodles are already hyper. Uh-huh. And this dog was literally bouncing off walls. Like it was just the poor, her name was Bun, <laughs> And she was, she lost her mind and then just, just passed out. And she was, she's out for about a day and a half. And then all of a sudden she's like, Hey, how y'all doing? Wow. That's okay. funny. Yeah. It, it was freaky, really freaky. And that, that is so relevant to the no driving gloves. It, I know, right? I was say so much of this is going to get cut. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, that's definitely not in the show. I don't think until like, yeah, this is the outtakes. John might leave it in. Yeah. 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 yeah well, people want to listen this long. People. This is the alternate ending after the credits. <laughs> yeah, at this at this stage, yeah. we are not responsible for content. If you're still listening, thank you. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Bias, bias. Yeah. Actually, we'll probably <laughs> we get more that. listeners at the end. So yeah. <laughs> It'll be like, oh, they're talking about puppies. Let's listen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're talking about doggies and kitties. I'll make sure to because uh, you just said it. I'll make sure to insert um, social media mentions and how to find your podcast. <laughs> we, did, we didn't get to Please that in the that. podcast. And, uh, 
And we just turned into yes. no puppy pets. So that's well, our next she, podcast. She, she, right. she brought up the cat, which, as I, I always say, Douglas Adams got it wrong. It's not the mice. It's the cats. The cats are taking over. It, it, yeah, because the, the, cats the mice are too ruled. small. You don't see them. You see the cats chasing yeah. the mice. Yes. The, the cats are the evil ones. You know, I think in my ma- Facebook memories, the the one cat video where the cat they catch the cat and it's pushing the vase to the side of the table, and then the cat oh, looks yes. up and realizes it's being watched, and all of a sudden it gets pushed back. <laughs> yeah, cats are the smartest animals. Oh on, yeah, the smartest aliens on the planet. Because mm-hmm. they even have the same alien face shape, if you really look at it. No, like cats because they don't need us. You wanna... That's the, the thing that a lot of people don't like about cats is the thing that I love about it. Like, like literally, I think our, our four cats, as we walk out the door, when we do walk out the door these days, which is rare, like both of us leaving. But if both of us leave, our cats meet at a pre-designated location in the house. They high paw. <laughs> There's a four-way high paw, and then they just go do whatever the hell they want to do. I, I, that's the cool thing about cats. They don't need us. They really don't. So true. Derek's got something. No, I'm just hanging out. I, I do need to get going, though. i got to take care of some you know, kiddos. i got some family stuff going on back home. But Well, Zamboni Simulator? You Z- up for it? No, i got to go, man. Oh, oh, I want to. I want to do one of those virtual race car driving experience. I want to actually yes. drive one, but I also want, want to experience. So, if you know anyone who has a setup like that, I I want to um, do that someday. The, the guy you need to talk that's to on the show builds those. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you happen to know anyone, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I I wish I did. I wish I knew anyone. I, I, unfortunately, dig through your contacts. You'll find somebody. Yeah, I'll. Yeah, I'll try to find someone <laughs> that knows anything about that at all. Yeah, if you if you happen to know anything about that, just uh, I've heard this company actually sucks. I don't know if I. Yeah, they're this. terrible. They well, like I said. The guy that owns this company is my boss, and he is an ass. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, no, that's what I've done for the past twenty plus years: is either build motorsport simulation software for driver development and training, or build hardware. And I'm pointing to that screen like you can see it, but that's I can't literally. See it, but- I'm sitting in one of our chassis right now. That's a it's the experimental flight. Uh, chassis design that we have and I'm surrounded by 350 inch screens and yeah it's that's what we do man so come on down to Alabama Jamie and I'll come to Alabama <laughs> come on yeah and I mean that's so that's some of the things you were saying earlier like, like obviously you're a bourbon trail fan so obviously you got to get here to Kentucky yes <laughs> um, and when you do obviously stop by the Corvette Museum so we can as long as no sinkhole shit that. happens yeah that's taken care of don't worry I don't want to fall in any damn hole. <laughs> no, you just don't walk around the property outside. Uh, <laughs> okay. Nothing in the building, don't worry. So, but no, I, um, I, 